Welcome back to Today Explained. Russia isn't happy with the United States right now. Most recently, it sent a formal warning to the Biden administration. Stop sending advanced weapons to Ukraine or risk, quote, unpredictable consequences. Hard to know what Putin means by that. But one thing we do know is Russia's been ramping up cyber warfare in Ukraine. A top Ukrainian cybersecurity official has confirmed to NBC News that Ukraine is once again under cyber attack. And among the reported victims are banks and government websites. And as Putin's frustration grows, as does the threat of cyber warfare. Everybody's vulnerable. Cyber activities know no sovereign boundaries. And so the United States is surely going to be a, a, a potential target. The threat of cyber warfare from Russia and how the United States isn't really ready. Ahead on Today Explained. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Today Explained, I'm Sean Ramos firm and this is Glenn. I'm Glenn Gerstel. Glenn used to be in the NSA. I'm the former general counsel of the National Security Agency, having served there from 2015 to 2020. But now he's just a regular civilian. And I'm currently a senior advisor at a Washington, D.C. think tank, the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Glenn still thinks a lot about national security, so he seemed like the right kind of guy to ask about cybersecurity. We're seeing right now very significant cyber attacks in Ukraine, including one that was just recently thwarted just days ago, which would have been a successful attack on uh, the electric grid in Kyiv. That would have been the third such attack. One was done by Russia in 2015. An unprecedented cyber attack left 225,000 Ukrainians without power. In another in 2016. The hackers sent emails with infected attachments to power company employees, stealing their login credentials and then taking control of the grid systems to cut the circuit breakers at nearly 60 substations. So we know that Russia is capable of this. We see the kind of indiscriminate activity they're engaged in in the military operations on the ground. And the fear is that this indiscriminate but forceful type of attack might occur in the cyber realm as well. And the United States is potentially vulnerable to such an attack? Everybody's vulnerable. Cyber activities know no sovereign boundaries. And so the United States is surely going to be a, a, a potential target. 
A March 18th FBI bulletin obtained by CBS warned at least 23 U.S. companies that 140 Russian-linked IP addresses were scanning networks for vulnerabilities for use in potential future intrusions. Malicious cyber activity runs the gamut. It's on a spectrum. At one end, something that doesn't produce destructive effects, that's the kind of cyber activity where a foreign adversary maybe tries to get into uh, the computer networks of our defense contractors or the, or the national government, as we saw uh, a couple of years ago with the so-called solar winds intrusion. Sending malware to 18,000 private and government organizations, including the U.S. Departments of Justice, Treasury, State, and Homeland Security. It was a simply old-fashioned spying operation, but done by means of a computer. And at the other end of the spectrum, we have potentially devastating, physically destructive cyber attacks where we use cyber to produce a real-world effect in our daily lives, and that could involve turning off electricity, which could mean everything from homes getting cold in winter to hospitals having to shut down in the middle of operations due to electricity being turned off to potentially water supplies being contaminated. So the potential for a real-world consequence is very significant. And between those two extremes are other variations, one of which is ransomware that generally doesn't corrupt data, generally doesn't stop everything dead in its tracks other than access to the computer. But in theory, if you pay the ransom and the ransomware gang is honest, they'll let you have your computer back and you'll be back after a rather transient period of damage, but not permanent. And Russia is capable of the full spectrum? Russia is capable of the full spectrum. When I was at the National Security Agency, we regarded Russia as one of the top four cyber adversaries. We regarded Russia as a near peer. We had to take them very seriously. Uh, they are capable of the most sophisticated type of cyber operations. And we've seen that uh, over the past several years. Tell me more about what Russia has executed during this war with Ukraine. We've seen a relentless barrage uh, from Russia, probably by the GRU, which is the intelligence unit of the Russian uh, military, possibly also the SVR, which is sort of the equivalent of their CIA. We've seen a history of significant cyber attacks seeking to bring down uh, government websites by something called a distributed denial of service attack. And that basically involves sending hundreds and millions of messages at a computer to sort of overwhelm it and take it offline. That produces only a temporary effect uh, because the computers are able to get back online. Indeed, we just saw the Finnish foreign ministry Evidently, in retaliation for Finland's current consideration of joining NATO, suffered a significant DDoS attack where they were taken offline for several hours. This all happening as Ukrainian President Zelensky was speaking virtually to members of Finland's parliament. The websites of both the Finnish defense and foreign ministry went down. That is part of a very coordinated effort on the part of the Russians uh, tied up with their, their disinformation operation. So the combination of spreading disinformation on social media to induce panic, coupled with selected physical uh, disruptions in sort of everyday real-life websites being turned off. There were two state banks that were unable to function for several days due to computer attacks. People couldn't get money from ATM machines. Hmm. Coupled with that, Russia, in a very concerted way, sent out text messages to people saying, you won't be able to get your money from ATM machines, sort of inducing panic and sowing chaos. So this is a, they have a very integrated way of combining their information operations together with uh, their ability to engage in physically destructive cyber attacks. 
So it sounds like Russia is certainly engaging in these cyber warfare tactics in Ukraine and even beyond, but they aren't going as hard as they could from what you've said the spectrum is. We haven't seen that. So we've certainly seen, as I said, relentless, somewhat lower level attacks. We haven't seen the shock and awe that might be accompanied with a massive cyber attack causing the entire country to plunge into darkness, telephones and internet disrupted on a, on a national scale. We haven't seen that. So why is that? We'll know the answer in a few years when the full history comes out. But one reason surely has to be that Vladimir Putin thought this was going to be an easy victory. He thought he was going to be able to uh, have troops come in and reach uh, Kiev in a matter of days from crossing the border. Hmm. So one is they didn't think it was necessary. Two, they might not want it anyway, because if they thought they were going to be coming into the country and occupying it as an invader, they'd want a function economy. They'd want, they'd want a populace that was willing to, uh, to engage in normal commercial activities. And that's obviously not what even remotely has turned out. It's also possible that lack of coordination we see in the Russian military on the ground and lack of coordination between their ground forces and their sea forces and air forces um, is replicated or extended to lack of coordination with their cyber units. So maybe the cyber folks weren't clued into the full invasion plans. Maybe they weren't completely clued in to exactly how the military would be operating. That certainly certainly seems to have evidence of that. Finally, perhaps, is just the simple fact that Ukrainians have had several years to prepare for this. They've known since 2015 and experienced since 2015 relentless cyber attacks, and they're, they're better prepared. It sounds like there might be some overlap between why Russia isn't waging as aggressive a cyber war on Ukraine as it could and why Russia isn't waging as much of a cyber war on, say, the countries that are helping Ukraine, Germany, France, UK, the United States. Is that fair? It's a little hard to see exactly what strategic value, what the upside is for Vladimir Putin to, let us just simply say, attack the electric grid in France or the New York Stock Exchange or pick whatever target you want. I can't imagine that if, if to take an example, that the Kremlin were to orchestrate and launch a very severe, physically destructive cyber attack against the United States, that we would say, oh, okay, well, in that case, forget the sanctions. <laughs> Obviously, we're not going to do right. that. If anything, we'll double down on them. Um, we would engage in some kind of escalation, some kind of significant retaliation. Having said that, I could see a situation in which he feels cornered, either because uh, he feels he's got nothing left to lose. The sanctions are already imposed uh, so strict. Uh, there's there's not much worse. That they, can't, they can't get much worse. Or what I fear is that when the sanctions we've imposed start having a real-world effect on the average Russian citizen and they take to the streets, we see more demonstrations in St. Petersburg. Of course, they could be brutally put down. But if they aren't, and it turns out to be an existential issue for Putin where his rule is threatened, then I could see him engaging in what we would regard as an irrational retaliation and strike out in terms of cyber uh, without regard to the consequences because at that point he won't, he won't care. He'll, he'll engage in something that's just lashing out irrationally. And that's something we do have to be concerned about. And it sounds like the United States is preparing for that scenario. I think we need to be prepared for that scenario. Certainly, our government is taking it very seriously. And an example of that is an absolutely unprecedented action by the president of the United States. Just several weeks ago, President Biden issued a statement and an announcement. Look, today, my administration is issuing new warnings that based on evolving intelligence, Russia may be planning a cyber attack against us. 
urging American businesses to be prepared for significant malicious cyber activity from Russia. This was coming directly from the president. We've never had that before. Hmm. And that's obviously because our intelligence community must have been in possession of some information that gave them some specific reason to, to ring the alarm bell at that level. So we do need to be prepared. We know their capabilities. We know how they're reacting to these sanctions. It's not impossible that they could retaliate in a way that would be extremely unpleasant. Support for the show today comes from Quince. It's a time of year where the weather is changing. Maybe your wardrobe is too. It's time to put away the winter clothes and pull out the summer clothes. But maybe you pull out your summer clothes and you're like, wait, I hate all these clothes. Well, Quince wants to offer you a chance to hit F5. You know what I'm saying? A little refresh. Is that still what F5 does? Back in my day, that's what F5 does. Claire White. My colleague here at Vox has tried Quince. I would say the clothes feel super timeless. A lot of their silhouettes are classic and stay in style for a really long time. I would categorize Quince as a very timeless, approachable brand. You can hit F5 and upgrade your wardrobe this spring by going to quince.com slash explain for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash explained to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash explained. Support for Today Explained comes from Indeed. Hiring can be difficult. You can hope and pray and ruminate on how to find the perfect candidate, or you can turn to something more reliable, a smart piece of technology like Indeed's matching engine. According to Indeed, that matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences for job candidates, so it becomes more accurate over time. The more you use it, the better it gets. Indeed also lets you ditch some of the busy work, scheduling, screening, messaging. According to Indeed data, they have over 350 million global monthly visitors. They also did a survey that showed 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Listeners of Today Explained will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Today Explained. You can go to Indeed.com slash Today Explained. Let them know you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Today Explained. Terms and conditions do apply. Need to hire? Asks Indeed. You need Indeed. Did you find the files? I don't even know what they look like. What do they look like? They're in the computer. They're in the computer? Yeah, they're definitely in there. I just don't know how he labeled them. I got it. You gotta figure it out. Roger. In the computer. It's so simple. Today Explained, we're back with Glenn Gerstel. Glenn used to be in the NSA. It sounds like the president is concerned. He issued this unprecedented warning to American business, to American infrastructure, as you mentioned just recently. Give us an idea of how prepared this country is for malicious cyber warfare attacks from a country like Russia in this moment. America's preparedness varies. 
in the industries that have a history of working together, because that's the nature of their business, say the banking and finance industry, or the energy industry, where they're shipping energy and coordinating uh, supplies and deliveries to each other, no surprise that those industries are actually fairly well organized in terms of being prepared for, for malicious cyber activity. Hmm. They're also wealthy enough that they can afford to hire the best people, the best cybersecurity engineers, they can buy the best equipment, uh, and they have the money to spend uh, time on making sure all patches are up to date, their computers are up to date, etc. So I would give those uh, industries, the financial and banking sector, credit card industry, a pretty, pretty high grade, well overpassing. It's pretty, 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 pretty good. Comforting? That's the good news. What's the bad news? The bad news is there are some guys at the back of the classroom who aren't doing so well. Uh-huh. Who are they? While uh, nobody wants to be pointed out as who's sitting in the back of the classroom there, state and local governments clearly are at a poor end of the spectrum. They, they don't have enough money to do many of the important social services they want to do, let alone cybersecurity. Their computers are often outdated. They, it's not a question of patching the computers. The computers and their network systems maybe are running old versions of Windows or old versions of some software. So it's not a question of patching it. They just haven't spent the money to buy it. And this is why they've fallen victim to, to ransomware in the past. And we see time and time again, uh, school systems, municipalities, Baltimore, Atlanta. Essential services like 911 and 311 are still working, but most of the city's servers are shut down. Last Thursday, the city of Atlanta was attacked by hackers and they demanded ransom money, blocking online access to certain city sites and leaving residents unable to pay bills, report potholes, or even use the Wi-Fi at the airport. Being crippled by ransomware to the point where they can't even write parking tickets anymore. Uh, and another sector might be the water sector. There are over 52,000 uh, water utilities in the United States. Most of them are very small. They often struggle to have the funds necessary to do all the upgrades and maintenance uh, that they need to, to keep their water supplies proper, so they don't really have a lot of money left over for cyber. They often run antiquated equipment. Cyber isn't integral to their business. They are significantly vulnerable. We know they're vulnerable. And the only uh, offsetting feature, I would say, is that they're so dispersed. There's so many of them. There's so many school districts in the United States, so many election precincts and election machinery, so many water supply companies. Pick any one of these infrastructure areas that are widely dispersed because they're geographically diverse. Well, the good news is it's going to be hard to attack them at scale. You can't attack all 52,000 water utilities in the United States. You can take one by one. But... You don't need to get all 52,000 to, to produce a problem. Just imagine, imagine if Russia were successful in penetrating two or three water supply systems around the United States and using cyber to open valves to add excessive amounts of disinfectant or to pollute the waters or who knows what. Imagine the level of concern that everybody would have when you'd go home and turn on the tap water. You'd wonder, gosh, I wonder if they got into my system. What do I need to do? And so they could easily, and if that were coupled with Russia's disinformation campaign and they're good at that, you can imagine sowing a significant concern in the United States with just a very limited attack. Mm. Again, I'm not trying to induce panic, but I'm just simply saying we need to be prepared for the worst case. Hopefully that'll never occur, but we do need to be worried about it. Does that also apply to power, to grids? 
Our electric grid system in the United States is connected in many important ways uh, for all sorts of uh, reasons for redundancy so that if electricity goes off in one area and if it goes off in Pennsylvania, then it's possible for electricity from Virginia to be funneled along the electric grid to, to deal with the power outage. So that's the good part of the fact that our grids are at some level tied together. And the concern there is that if Russia were able to go after one or two key spots in the grid, it could have a significant significant regional effect. It's hard to see how it would have a really truly national effect. But again, if you're talking about a key city such as Washington or New York, that will have a national effect, even if the lights go out only in Wall Street. It sounds like the silver lining here is there's a whole lot of systems. And so attacking one does not necessarily mean disrupting the entire nation, though, as you said, there is potential to hit a really critical city or, or state and cause major disruptions. What's the fix, though? What, what do we do to not be vulnerable at all? So the fix is complicated. Uh, the problem is complicated. Uh, if, it was, if it was easy, we would have fixed it by now. So we know the problem is complicated. Uh, and, and there's a whole bunch of reasons for our cyber vulnerability. But at the end of the day, we need to approach our cyber vulnerabilities in several ways. We certainly need such easy steps or relative easy steps and easy to articulate steps as getting more cyber professionals. There are over 3 million cyber jobs that are going vacant in the United States right now. And it's going to take a lot of professionals to fill that gap. But due to the pandemic, coupled with the ongoing labor crunch, workers are being stretched thin, both preventing attacks and responding to the ones that make it through. We need to train average users how to be more cyber secure about their 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 laptops, their phones, uh, using so-called two-factor authentication to make sure someone doesn't get into your email or into your phone. So we need general public education. Uh, but then at the end of the day, we really need to make sure that American businesses and infrastructure owners employ the best cyber practices. And, and they don't. The simple fact of the matter is they don't. Some industries, as we've already discussed, are really good at it. Others aren't. But we're only as strong in our terms of our national well-being as the sort of weakest link. And so we've got to make sure that we, we address that. Tonight, the MTA confirms it got hit by a cyber attack in April. The hack is the latest in a number of high-profile cyber attacks in the U.S. over the past few weeks. Hackers targeting our health care system, stealing private data and holding it for ransom. So far, five hospitals. Security experts warn hundreds more under threat. We've relied for basically, oh, a generation, basically 20 years since the internet and cyber has been a thing in our lives. We've relied fundamentally on market solutions. And what have market solutions given us? They've given us buggy software, which is vulnerable to many cyber attacks. Uh, and they've given us a system where we tolerate, evidently, just uh, low but still significant levels of ransomware that affect us every day, uh, computer outages, and market solutions have proven ineffective to, to prevent us from these ransomware attacks, these malicious uh, cyber surveillance attacks against the federal government, state governments, election, uh, election interference. We've allowed our, our social media to be polluted through uh, cyber maliciousness, et cetera. So private sector, it's not working, and we need to recognize that. So what does that mean? We only need the government to step up. The United States Constitution says that our federal government is designed for the, quote, common defense. And we certainly know that it undertakes that duty in the case of uh, foreign malicious real-world uh, attacks. Uh, so, for example, if North Korea 
attacked Sony Pictures because they didn't like the, the picture that Sony was producing about the North Korean dictator. That. And in retaliation, they... The interview. Exactly. A devastating attack against Sony Pictures, knocking them offline, causing millions of dollars of damage at Sony. Um, they undertook that attack uh, through cyber means. But uh, yeah, they called it an act of war and yes. uh, an act of uh, terrorism, um, which as a comedian is like what you're fucking looking for, huh? <laughs> if instead the North Korean military had launched a missile at Sony Pictures in Culver City, California, well, we know what the United States response would be. It would probably involve a B-52, right? Um, but instead, uh, because it was a cyber attack, what did we do? We imposed mm. sanctions against, uh, against North Korea. So cyber exploits a vulnerability. It exploits a vulnerability in the way our federal government is empowered mm. and organized to defend the United States against foreign malicious cyber activity. Uh, and that's a very severe gap, very severe vulnerability. To remedy it, we need the government to step up and provide, at the end of the day, mandatory minimum cybersecurity standards like we do in so many other areas. We need to regulate this area. And the government you're talking about is the federal government? Only the federal government is in a, is in a position to deal with what is, in effect, a threat to our national well-being. And that means recognizing that market solutions aren't, aren't getting us to where we need to be. We need the government to impose mandatory minimum cybersecurity standards. That will involve regulation. It'll involve a bureaucracy. No one wants either of those. But the alternative is to sit back and suffer ever more devastating ransomware attacks. Is this the moment that the federal government wakes up to the imminent dangers of a cyber warfare attack from from Russia? Is, is it this war that has brought us the closest we've been in generations to a direct conflict with Russia? Or is it the actual attack that comes one day and cripples, you know, critical American infrastructure? In a funny way, I'm sort of worried that there won't be that kind of devastating attack that will the, – the, the equivalent of 9-11 that will cause us to form a Department of Homeland Security that will cause us to reform their intelligence agencies, et cetera. Um, we may never or hopefully we'll never see such a devastating attack. But I don't want the fact that we haven't seen a devastating attack to be an excuse for not doing anything about this. Mm. We need to take action and I think – I've seen in talking to uh, members of Congress and the staff uh, on, the, on Capitol Hill uh, a real change in their attitude. Is it going to be sufficient to overcome partisan gridlock, the normal inertia that we have about any, making any changes in government? I don't know. I'd like to think we're, we're on the path to addressing that. I'm under no illusions that it's going to be easy or going to be quick. Uh, but I think, I think we've started that process. Glenn Gerstel is definitely not in the NSA. He's a senior advisor at the Center for Strategic and International Studies here in Washington, D.C. The program today was produced by Victoria Chamberlain with edits by Matthew Collette. We were fact-checked by Laura Bullard and mixed and mastered by Paul Mounsey. It is Today Explained. I'm Sean Ramosferum.